Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So, at four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual, because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable, it's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals, and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. Welcome back to Feminist Book Club, the podcast. We're not just about feminist books. We are here for social justice, literature, and media in all its forms. But we do that through an intersectional feminist lens. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hi. My name is Alana Amora Colvin, and I'm a content contributor with Feminist Book Club. Today, I'm here speaking with the individuals behind Black Book Swap and the Reading for Black Lives Project, two Brooklyn-based bookstagram accounts. Okay, would you please introduce yourself, your pronouns, and which org you're representing? Hey, I'm Trey. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm representing uh, my Black Book Swap initiative. And what exactly does Black Book Swap Initiative do? The Black Book Swap is a nonprofit initiative where I gather folks to literally swap books and even exchange book swaps. I have them every month at a different community space, bookstore, or um, coffee shop in Brooklyn. And I've done, you know, kind of a good job at gathering people that love books but don't always want to cash out on them <laughs> and kind of pass forward what they've already read or what they've enjoyed reading. So that's what Black Book Swap is for and about. And what inspired you to start this work? Well, two things. The first thing was my raggedy friends always borrowing all my books and me not getting anything in return. No, no, no. Um, raggedy, yes, but no, it wasn't always that, but it was more so like we would exchange books a lot. And then I'd be like, oh my God, you're taking too long to read that one. Like, I want this back or like, da, da, da. And then it started making me think like maybe if we always did an even exchange, I wouldn't be expecting something back. So no hard feelings on the friendship and we could just exchange a book and keep it moving. And the second thing is, you know, I started actually just more broad scope thinking like how many other people in the community, um, and since I'm in Brooklyn, you know, would want to do something like this. So I would just post on my Instagram stories and be like, hey, does anyone want to borrow this? I'm looking for this book. Do you have this book? you know, we can do a swap and like it kind of inspired, well, the inspiration was more so to see if there were other readers who were down to do that and kind of like, you know, again, books can be expensive. So like, if you already have something I'm wanting to read and vice versa, let's see if we can make something work. So that was really the main inspo behind it, like community building, but also like initially it was definitely like, I have a group of friends that love to read too. So like, (laughs) let me see what, you know, what you're willing to give up off your shelf. Can you dive a little bit more into the community aspect? What was the importance of that for you, especially with the emphasis on BIPOC literature um, and the Black aspect of your title name? 
Yeah, so the community aspect was really important to me. And I have to be honest, I wasn't really sure how to kick off the community aspect, especially um, in person during a pandemic. Around July of last year, a bookstore owner by the name of Darlene, who owns Adane Bookstore in Dumbo, asked me if I wanted to host a book swap in person. And immediately I was like, oh my God, this is great, you know, because this is going to bring together so many people who are interested or maybe not even necessarily like-minded, because I think that's like a weird way of saying it. But it's like, I knew that people who also were interested in getting books for the low, but then also like meeting other people, hanging out. And I knew that would be a thing. And so like the community aspect became really important to me because I realized after that first one that, you know, there's so many people that love reading and love discussing books and talking about them in person. And I guess because I started this during the pandemic, the in-person aspect was kind of missing and it, it was kind of being lost. So many people were just excited to be able to come to something with their masks on grab a few books, talk and like leave, you know, and people were very, very excited for it. So the emphasis on the black book swap part is more so just in the last like 10 years of me reading more and more literature, like there's been such a big focus on the lack of black books and BIPOC books. And I mean, specifically like black, indigenous, Latinx, Muslim, you know, Asian stories that none of us really read growing up. Like even people from the most air quotes, diverse cities, some of the best school districts, like didn't read Zora Neale Hurston until college, you know? So the Black book swap part is like, I'm Black, I want the emphasis to be on Black books, but it's also just more of like a reminder of how much was kind of like kept from us in a way um, and how much doesn't get highlighted amongst Black and Brown authors. I mean, just from the New York Times bestseller discrepancies or like the ways in which so many people are like, I would have never read James Baldwin if it wasn't for this show or if it wasn't for this thing. It's like, why weren't these to the forefront? And then now with more contemporary Black literature, you know, Nicole Hannah-Jones of the world or uh, Yava Blay or like, you know, these other people. Thank God for social media because people can see them and find them more accessibly. But it's just, I need people to always be putting Black and Brown literature to the forefront. And that's what I love to do. It's what I love to read. So I was like, why not keep that as the focal point of my swap? Bring a BIPOC book, take a BIPOC book. Every now and then some white author sneaks in and that's okay. But it's definitely like you're not going to pull up and it's 35 white books available to swap. You can find those anywhere. So that's really the bigger thing about Black Book Swap and why I specifically wanted it to be like focused on authors of color. Do you think that this is especially important right now in Brooklyn where there's this big push against the gentrification of Brooklyn? Yeah, I think it is important. Um, You know, as a non-native New Yorker, but I have lived here, this is my ninth year here. So I've lived here for a long enough time to see a lot of changes. And I have a lot of friends and family that are natives that they're constantly just like gentrification conversations happen all the time. What I've been seeing at my events too are like, again, a lot of white people being kind of confused as to why this is a black and brown centered book exchange or even sometimes you know honestly this has happened where like white people will bring up other white authors and I'm like I'm just not trying to talk about that right now like thank you (laughs) you know so I do think it is very important in the landscape of Brooklyn in the landscape of gentrification being so rampant really that this initiative lives alongside that because I think it is a great reminder to people who are now moving into a historically black and brown and the neglected borough, thoroughly neglected until like literally 10, 15 years ago, because, you know, it was like the scary borough, bedside do or die. And all these things may have been true, right? Like, but no one wanted to highlight the culture that lived within um, Brooklyn, unless they were talking about like a rapper or something. 
you know, and that happens, that's still happening, like, in other boroughs, like, the Bronx, Staten Island, right, but, like, I also don't want, like, white people to come to my event and, like, run away from the fact that this is black and brown centered, like, you're in Brooklyn still, you are in a space that is historically and will remain, there will always be a population of black folks here, no matter how many you push out, and I kind of do think that is in alignment with what I'm doing, but again, I don't like to center myself in that, because I am not a native New Yorker, I'm not from Brooklyn, like, it's not my place to, like, make that an action or make that a, a thing, but I've seen how it's kind of shaped white people's interactions at my events right they very are like oh my god I'm so sorry I brought this book by Margaret Orwell and I'm like yeah this is black book swap like baby put that back and let, let me see what your other two books are right you know let me see what else you brought and it kind of makes them have to focus on the changes that they've also now gotten used to just popping up and having space anywhere and it's like no there's still rules like you gotta let you know let's adapt to the space you know what I'm saying so I don't know if that's a specific and clear answer, but I have noticed while hosting these in Brooklyn specifically, like when white people either walk by and they weren't aware of the event before, sometimes they are a little thrown off. And the white people that come to participate, sometimes still, you can tell they had to like really hone in on the fact that like, oh, we're focusing on black literature here right now. We're not talking about all these other people who make the New York Times bestseller writing another romance novel about the same thing over and over. We're talking about black people, indie black authors, queer, trans black authors we're not talking about just you know the handmaid's tale you know what i mean so i think that is important but that wasn't initially why i was starting this or why even like something i really thought would be impactful but i think it really has been especially in bedside dumbo all these areas i've done um books often uh, crown heights i also have been at cafe con libros a couple times like areas like that that have changed so much like the white people are definitely noticed okay this is something i need to pay attention to and i need to realize like my space in this landscape of brooklyn yes and i like to thank you for bringing up cafe carly rose and it's adonde adonde bookstores in dumbo yes adonde bookstores in dumbo and cafe conley bros in crown heights which are both black owned and in cafe conley bros is case uh latinx owned as well um and both female owned as well bookstores independent bookstores in the brooklyn area those details will be listed in the show notes and also, I do think you had a very cohesive and well-spoken response to that question and a very important insight in the conversation of how do we address white people, their innate urge to sort of involve themselves in spaces that aren't necessarily held for them, the FOMO that white people tend to have in spaces where they are not welcome because that's something that's new to them. Um, you see it a lot during Pride Month. There was a lot of that amongst the bookstagram community uh, in the month of June. Um, and it is and it is very present in events that are very publicly held and announced as black or brown spaces. White people do invite themselves in. They are not intended for you. Um, and there's a respect that needs to be practiced in those cases. Going on to the next question, what are your hopes and intentions for uh, Black Book Swap Initiative or the Black Book Swap Initiative long-term and or short, short-term? Yeah, short-term, I would like to eventually do some more like workshopping and programming. Um, I've met a lot of great people over this last year of in-person swaps. The book swap started before that, but I've met a lot of great people, a lot of people willing to collab and, and kind of like help me grow. And um, I've all, you know, I've just been like really welcomed by a lot of folks resource wise or just like excited about like where you know where I see myself going so I really want to try to eventually start doing some writers workshops some more programming in general like journaling 
different things like that. But um, I had a great uh, pop-up at the new museum alongside the Faith Ringgold exhibit. And I, the first time ever I was able to have like music there. So I had my friend, um, who's actually my partner's best friend, but also my friend, DJ at the book swap. And it was such a vibe. It was beautiful. I never even thought to incorporate music or anything to a book swap. So I also want to do more stuff like that when I say more like workshoppy engagement, da 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 da. Like I would love to have a vibe where it's like a barbecue, book swap, you know, DJ playing, like things like that where it's not just like book only, right? So those are some little goals I have. And I'm like, let me see how I can kind of push those out into the world. And then like long term, I'm not going to ignore money. I would love to have like consistent sponsors, a consistent placement to do my book swap. There's a lot of community spaces in Brooklyn that I need to like actually start pitching to to get every other month like I have a spot there no matter what because it is hard moving books around it is hard like storing them I need a place to like consistently donate them and weed through what I want what I don't want and then what I'm taking to the next swap things like that so I would love a space to do that in so if something came along where like people were down to like help me out crowdfund etc etc I'm actually going to crowdfund at some point this summer for ongoing um, sustainability. But yeah, in the future, like long-term, I would love something like that because then, then maybe I can even set up like a bookstore type of front inside of a community space that is also always open for swapping and exchanging used books. So that's like my long-term goal. Um, and I want to see where I get with that because a lot of people, I've only told a couple people that, but I'm every time I mention it, people are like, oh my God, that seems so overdue. Like we need something like that. So those are like my little my little seedlings that I've been sprinkling out, been trying to work on and getting, you know, like I said, a lot of people are always so excited to like help me out and like give me advice or resources, connections. So I want to make sure I'm always honoring those and moving forward with my little black book swap initiative. Where can people find you, support you and find out more about your work? You can find me on Instagram at black book swap, B-L-K book swap. Um, and on Twitter, I'm not active as, as active on Twitter as I should be, but my jokes are really heavy on Black Book Swap, so get into it on Instagram. You can follow my personal page as well on Instagram, Issa Trey, I-S-S-A-T-R-A-E. Um, you can support me by sending me a Venmo right now, Black Book Swap, same spelling, on Venmo, on PayPal. Um, <laughs> and also, yeah, just really like liking and sharing my shit it makes me really happy. I really be goofing off on Black Book Swap Instagram. So that's another thing. Like, yeah, we be exchanging books, but I'm like low-key a comedian. So send me some money if I make you laugh. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for your time. I'd like to invite you to join the National Women's Studies Association this November 10th through the 13th at the Hilton Minneapolis for the annual conference. The 2022 NWSA conference theme, Killing Rage, Resistance on the Other Side of Freedom, seeks to open up conversations about freedom and justice, salvation and sacrifice, convenience and controversy, and whose life and vote matters. At our conference, you can connect with other activists, feminists, and scholars from across the globe. This year, the keynote speakers are feminist leaders Angela Davis and Anita Hill and many more. Don't know what NWSA is? The NWSA is the world's largest group of feminists, activists, and scholars dedicated to advancing women and women's studies across the globe. So are you a feminist? Join NWSA at nwsa.org to become a member and to see more details on this year's conference. Again, that's nwsa.org. Or follow them on Twitter at NWSA or on Instagram at NWSA underscore IG. We hope to see you this November here in Minneapolis. Can you please introduce yourself, pronouns, and which org you're representing?
Um, hey y'all, my name is Fiola. Um, I use she they pronouns and I'm representing the Reading for Black Lives project. And what exactly does the Reading for Black Lives do? Yeah, so Reading for Black Lives um, is essentially a mutual aid initiative that works to provide free books by BIPOC authors to BIPOC communities across NYC and beyond. And what inspired this work? I have to like go way, way back to like my childhood, but I just grew up around books. Um, my dad used to be a bookseller. Um, like our apartment would be filled with book, like bookshelves and like we would regularly, you know, I remember going to the library as a kid um, when they used to like have to do, my mom would make me read off my library finds and they had like the pizza hut, like you get the pizzas if you read the book. Bring those back, bring those back. But um, so I've always loved reading. I've always loved books. And so Reading for Black Lives started in 2020 during the summer uprisings. I remember people posting a lot of book lists about like anti-Blackness and racism and police brutality. And I kind of realized like, well, one, the people that are being directly impacted by these issues don't need to read about them in books necessarily. And then two, we're in the middle of a pandemic. People have lost their jobs. Libraries are closed. A lot of bookstores are having like being very overwhelmed with people like, oh my God, how to be an anti-racist, like white fragility. And so I was kind of thinking about ways to be more accessible and providing access to these resources and not just resources about racism or anti-Blackness, but books that were related to like Black joy, like Black history and things that weren't just about our pain and our trauma. Um, and so that's kind of where Reef Black Lives started. And um, I saw an opportunity to apply for like a grant and I applied for the grant. I explained my idea of wanting to buy books by Black authors from Black owned bookstores and sending them to Black people free of cost. Um, so the first iteration of, of that, the Black Books Fund, we were able to send about 75 books to folks across about 20 different states. And then the second iteration, we were sending about 110 books to folks across, again, like about 20 different states. So yeah, that's kind of what inspired this work. I was one of those lucky people. I was a little fresh high school graduate struggling the pandemic because mm. everyone's jobs went away. Yes, immediately. Instantly. Can you dive a little bit more into the community aspect? Was it intentionally based around community? What was the importance of providing that? I think part of it for me, this idea of community, really learning does not happen in a silo. Our learning happens in our connections with other people and our interactions with the world around us. And so our like motto at Reading for Black Lives is, you know, supporting our learning to sustain our, our liberation. And liberation is not an individual act. It's a community, it's a communal act. Um, so that's something that was like really, really important to me in kind of creating this project of um, one, like mutual aid is about working with our neighbors, working together, working with our community to support one another in addressing our material needs. And so community really have to be a central part of that. And also too, I really wanted to make sure that any work that I'm doing, any events that I'm putting on is really centering the needs of the community and really centering kind of the people. Because at the end of the day, I would not be who I am without my community. Um, and it was really important for me to give back to, to where I'm from. So I'm from Jamaica, Queens. And one part of it really was I started biking during the pandemic. I remember biking and all of my local libraries being closed. Um, and, you know, they were closed during the pandemic, closed during 2020. But then I was getting to 2022 and seeing libraries still closed over two years of the pandemic and knowing actively that libraries in other neighborhoods were opening back up. But libraries in versus like mine that are predominantly Black, predominantly low income were still closed. And so this fact that my community didn't have access to this important resource and kind of like, how can I support in addressing this gap? 
And why do you think it is especially important that not only do communities that reflect our identities, an identity that is also so familiar with the devastation that sort of came with COVID, which as we all know, wasn't just COVID Mm. or COVID in itself, but also the George Floyd riots. And Mm -hmm. let's not forget when we bring that up, that COVID did affect people of color much harder than it did white communities as well. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important that communities that reflect our identities have access to these things Mm. and from people who look like us? Mm, That's a really great question. One thing I really think about it is the ways in which education or society, like educational institutions, um, whether those be K to 12, whether those be higher education, are inherently anti-Black. They're inherently racist. They're inherently classist. Um, They're inherently ableist, inherently homophobic. And so when we're thinking about education and access to education, it's important for us to be able to have avenues to explore education outside of these systems, outside of these institutions that we know were not meant for us and we know are not built for us. We're able to navigate these institutions and we're able to make it through, but there should be spaces outside of these where we're able to center Black people, center people that are impacted by racism, by anti-Blackness, by classism in these various forms of oppression. And so I think that's something that's really important to me of like, yes, you know, education is important. Going to school is important, but also recognizing in these spaces, we're being indoctrinated into capitalism, into racism, into these things that are doing a disservice to our community. And so kind of having alternative forms of education and also empowering people to kind of find resources to read, to explore on their own and not feeling as if, you know, oh, this is knowledge that someone else holds and I can't have access to or someone else is in possession of and I need to be granted access to. But no, like we all have the ability to gain knowledge. We all have the ability in order to learn. And I think too, being a Black person and being a person who's directly descended from enslaved people, knowing that our ability to educate ourselves was constantly under threat, constantly being taken away. The fact that it was illegal for Black people to know how to read, for enslaved people to know how to read, like, that's something I think about all the time. So now having, like, okay, I can read, how can I take that even further, thinking about liberation, thinking about freedom, um, thinking about justice, and thinking about truth. And then that I would like to point out that in Reconstruction, there were about a 12-year period where Black people really capitalized on improving the education of our community. Yes! And we were taking government positions, and we were, uh, we want to actually schools for black communities became pretty much the very first thing that happened out of uh juneteenth yes. and it's always been an important part of our community and little people know that because it's not taught usually when we t- when we talk about reconstruction we talk about uh the rising of the kkk which of course is very important to american history on both sides of <laughs> the red mm-hmm. and blue uh but there was a lot more to it mm-hmm. my next question is What are your hopes and intentions for your org long-term and or short-term? I think one of the main things is providing people with books um, and providing people with books that are like both like classic, but also like new books. Like I want people to have access to books that are like, oh yeah, this book's on like the New York York Times bestsellers list. Um, Or like, wow, this book like literally just came out and you can have access to it. Um, So really finding this balance of, you know, providing donated books, but also providing like new books. I know these publishers, they have a lot of books that they're sitting on. So kind of getting access to that. Also to kind of creating partnerships with organizations, with people, with, um, you know, other entities of ways to like further the mission of Reading for Black Lives, of like making sure I'm providing books to my community um, and just doing like really awesome things. I think I also kind of want to do some more work around um, like art 
I am not like an artist in any form, but for the past two years, I've been teaching an art class um, at a summer camp in East Harlem. And so um, I really, really love how art is a way, is another form of thinking about history, thinking about learning, thinking about education. And so I would really love to do more work related to like reading and through an art and like art workshops. In the future, 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 I would love to open up a community space, um, like a bookstore slash like community space slash like community center slash like a cafe. I like to bake. Um, I'd be reading and baking. So it's like with bakeries something like that, but just like a, a permanent space that's like in the community. And I would love to do something in Jamaica, Queens, because there's only, off the top of my head, I can only think of one Black-owned bookstore um, that's in Jamaica, Queens. Um, and I actually think it's in, I actually think it's technically in Far Rockaway. So not even Jamaica, um, but I would love to have that, that space, um, like a permanent space. My dad like really loved selling books, but he didn't, he was more like a vendor. He wasn't necessarily, he didn't have a, necessarily like a permanent um, shop. So I feel like as an ode to him, I would love to really be able to open up something like that. I think also evolving is right now, Reading for Black Lives is literally just me. And so kind of how do I create space for other people? Like I have volunteers for different events, like our Queens Free Book Fair, but kind of creating space where it's less like, just me doing everything, but also other people who are invested in this work supporting as well. So I'm trying to find that balance. Um, so yeah, those are some of our goals, long-term and short-term. May I ask what the bookstore you were referencing is? It is the Lux Library. Um, they just, just opened very recently. And it's L-U-X-E. Where can people find you, support you, and find out more about your work? Definitely. So um, we're on Instagram at Reading for Black Lives. Also my website, phibetryin.online. You can find us, if you follow us on Instagram, um, I always post any pop-ups or fairs that we're going to be doing. Um, so feel free to um, come through for those. I'm always accepting book donations. So please feel free to reach out either through my email, fiola.fair at gmail.com um, or also on Instagram. Also, if you want to support financially through um, Venmo, um, Fiola Fair or um, Cash App, Fiola Dash Fair. All those, all those donations go to providing resources for the fairs, um, buying new books, as well as the Black Books Fund and getting that started up again um, in the fall. And yeah, you can check us out. And can you talk a little bit about the, the fund you just mentioned? Yeah, so the Black Books Fund um, was actually like my first initial project with Reading for Black Lives outside of posting book lists. Um, I wanted to really, how do I take these book lists from just being online to like actually impacting people in person? And so essentially I use funds to buy books by Black authors from Black-owned bookstores across the United States and Canada and send them to Black people, um, all free of cost. So um, I send the books directly. Um, all you have to do when the form is opened is fill out some basic information about like your name, your like mailing address, um, what kind of book you would like. I suggest books from book lists. But I also allow people, any book um, someone wants to buy um, or wants to have sent to them, I'm open to any and all suggestions. Um, that's the Black Books Fund. And so far, we've been able to send over 185 books um, to community members across the United States and also Canada, we international. And is that connected to uh, the Reading for Black Lives Project in terms of where they can find that, where listeners can find Yes. Okay. It's like one aspect of Reading for Black Lives. It's one, one of the resources that we provide to community members. Fantastic. Thank you so much for talking to me. It's been a pleasure. We would like to take a moment to highlight the independent bookstores mentioned in this episode. 
First off, we have Cafe Con Leros, an Afro-Latinx-owned bookstore in Crown Heights, Brooklyn. Next, we have Adane, a Black-owned bookstore celebrating African-American culture based in Dumbo, Brooklyn. And lastly, we have the Lux Library, spelled L-U-X-E, based in Lawrence, New York. All the information, links, and social media will be linked in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Feminist Book Club, the podcast. Want to be part of the club? Here's how you can join us. Obviously, subscribe to our podcast and leave a rating and review for brownie points. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, and TikTok. All of those links are in the show notes. Sign up for our newsletter to be the first to know what our next monthly book pick is. And check out our award-winning monthly book subscription service. Oprah Magazine named it one of their favorite book boxes, and Shonda Rhimes called us one of her favorite subscription boxes in general. There are multiple membership levels for any budget, and it's an excellent way to support the show and the voices you heard today. See you in the club. A well-read woman is a dangerous creature.